Of, of say working on the range, short game, maybe spending some time with you. How, how does it work? Yeah, it, they, they go to school in the morning, they get to the academy around 1230, they grab their lunch, and at 2 o'clock the program starts. It goes from 2 to 5 every day. There's a morning program too, um, but right now it's predominantly an afternoon program. But the next year there'll be a big morning program. So the, the, the program starts at 2 and you know, there's, there's, there's what they call pods where there's, you know, a, a group under one coach with a bunch of other coaches um, working within that pod. Um, probably groups of eight kids, more or less, uh, per, per coach. Uh, and they, um, they'll, they'll go to the range or they'll go to the course. Uh, sometimes we do classroom work. It just depends on what the kids need and where they're at. And it's, it's pretty flexible in terms of what they do every day. Uh, there's a big fitness program as well. It's it's it's, uh, it's very well run actually. So 
you can attend for something, you can hope for something, but when you expect nothing except for, you got uh, dogs everywhere here today. <laughs> if, you, if you expect, <laughs> if, if you don't think, <laughs> you don't really have any expectations. Uh, as far as the outcome goes, but but then if you place the expectations on yourself to, to do things that you control well, that is is a really productive place to place your expectations. This is strange. We can hear your answer. He didn't get the cancellation notice. Okay, that is weird. Oh well, it's it's I feel bad. You're gonna have a seat. Expectations will never be disappointed. Um, that one, but I, I like what you're saying there about um, being being in control of the things that you can control versus you know expectations and having worries about say score. You can't really control that stuff. You can influence it, but you can't control um, you can't control. So, do you are you saying focus more on process? And there's some chaos of noise going on here, isn't there? Yeah, actually, I'm hearing a bunch of echoes and out in the background. I couldn't hear much of what you said. I'm sorry. I was asking Paul that he was talking about focusing on those things you can control. So are you talking? Talking about basically, say, you can control your process, those types of things, versus, say, have expectations about score, which you cannot control? 100%, yeah. Yeah, you, you have an impact on score. The term I use is influence. That you can influence your score. Uh, it's, it's like farming. You know, a farmer doesn't grow the crop. A farmer creates the conditions for the give the crop a chance. Mm-hmm. So so when, when we play golf, really... I'm going to oversimplify here, but it's pretty accurate. We only control the preparation for the shot. The nervous system is not designed for consistency. So, you know, a little experiment people can do, you know, sign your sign your name or just print your name or whatever on a piece of paper with a pen and then attempt to duplicate it perfectly. There's no chance you will. Um, you know, they have all sorts of data from the Sam Putty Lab that, you know, the best putter in the world at 100 pots and there, there is a difference between every single stroke so human beings are not designed for that type of, of repetitive consistency and we expect that of ourselves and that's that's simply it's crazy to be honest with you to expect that um, but yeah we expect that our ego sort of gets out of hand and says well I should be able to hit it like that every single time it's like awesome can't even expect a tour pro to do it why would I be able to do it so when, when the, the, term, the, the little phrase I use here is when you place a massive amount of accountability to prepare properly for your for your shots or for your round or for your tournament, what goes down is pressure. So there's this relationship where if pressure's up, there's there's probably more attention being paid to the outcome, and therefore you're not being accountable to, to preparing for the shot correctly. So. Here's the, amateurs, basically, the, the difference in this aspect between amateurs and professionals. Amateurs tend to expect really good outcomes and hope that they can do the controllable elements of preparation well. Whereas professionals will expect themselves to do everything they possibly can to prepare for a tournament, for a round, and for a shot, and hope for the best outcome. And then they can play golf, you know, literally almost pressure-free because the expectation is only on something they can do something about. So I have this. Go ahead, go ahead.
I did, yeah. I was a person professional who works for a big company, and he was talking to some of his friends, and he said, one of the things I've told my friends is, can Tiger Woods come in and do your job as well as you can? If he only does it once a week. Golf is a tour player's job, and he spends hours every week holding their craft. You can't have the expect- same expectations they do, because that's not your job. And for some reason, and this isn't just tournament players, this is just everyday golfers, as you were just saying, some reason, they, they have all these high expectations based on playing once in a while. Which is straight whereas if you're, if you're playing every day and you're doing eight hours a day, this is your job. Of course, your intention and expectations would be different, but the average one of us doesn't do this for a living. Right. I, I think that part of it comes down to is how, how, you know, when you play once or twice a week, there's so much anticipation to play. Like, you look forward to it so much, so there's a lot of emotion tied to it. So we... Generally, we, to use the universal phrase, we want to play well. And so, you know, we've been working on our game and something feels right on the range. Yeah, we have a certain expectation. And, and because there's a lot of emotion tied up into it. But I think the difference is that the professionals detach from that. And the, whether they score well that day or not uh, does not have a massive bearing on their, you know, how they, their self-esteem. They, did their best, I think, when they're real professionals. And I'll ask Paul, because Paul works with, um, you know, tour pros, guys who do this for a living. So it's my sense that, that, yeah, indeed, they prepare in such a way that they do everything they can, and once it leaves the club face, it's up to the gods and gravity. Watch 
him for nine holes and watch the kind of stuff that happens during the round. And, and you, you, you'd be shocked because everybody's used to watching the leaders on TV. I mean, I've, I've followed, you know, dozens of rounds with, with guys who are struggling. Um, and they're still making money. On the, you know, they're one of the top 100 players in the world. But some of the stuff that happens to them happens to the casual golfer on a Saturday morning. Well, one of the things that uh, there's another great phrase. It's like be your own best caddy. Like if you if you treated yourself the way a bad caddy, like she's like, you know, well that was crappy. You'd fire the caddy right away. So be your own best caddy is not a is a good way to put that in perspective. But I want to circle back to um, uh, a word you used earlier, and you talked about accountability. And some people might be going like, how does that have to do with golf? Because most people tend to associate accountability with uh, say, you know, old high school football coach and shame and blame and you did this wrong and that type of thing. But I think it has a, a, a great part to play in golf when you marry it with, with commitment. So in, in golf, as you were talking earlier, I think the best you can do is you look at what you got in terms of the shot you're facing and you make a decision and you commit to it. And boom, you let that go and basically your job is done. I think if you can commit to, say, your process and decision-making and just doing the best you can, that is a way that you are much freer than if you are in this constant state of, say, expectation, evaluation, and judgment. something from uh, from tour players in terms of their resilience. Think about Rory McIlroy. I mean, that guy, uh, what a roller coaster of a career. You know, once he got it going, he got, you know, he had the, uh, the implosion in his first Masters he led. He's got, like, the, the, the four majors now. You know, he, he, but it keeps going up and down. But he keeps coming back. He doesn't – I have a sense that he struggles with a sense of disappointment, but it doesn't mean he's not – you know, an upper or echelon player. And my point is, is that I think that the tour players, I mean, there's so much at stake, money, prestige, all that type of stuff, but they don't, they don't go spike and fall. Like I think a lot of amateurs do. That's more of an even keel. Paul. 
there's this this strange combination of, of two things in a, in a person simultaneously where the ego is attached to the outcome. You can't eliminate that. Right. Um, there's no, no hope in eliminating that. But if you can make the dominant part of you that extracts your, your sense of, of accomplishment from doing everything to the very best of your ability in terms of the preparation, um, if that's the dominant thing in terms of how you judge you know, success, then, then you're, you're going to be resilient. And a lot of people would think that that's all that whole sentiment of, oh, well, isn't it, you tried your hardest, isn't, you know, that's for losers and all that. But I, I got to tell you, the, the, the best players I have ever been around, and I watch a lot of interviews, I read a lot of articles, and it's, it's, there's a resounding consistency that, yes, do they want to succeed? Absolutely. They have a massive appetite for that. But they have a bigger appetite to be sure that they did everything they could. And, 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 and everything they could, meaning, you know, were they prepared for the tournament, the round, the shot, or the game, or whatever it is. And if they're more upset with themselves when they're not prepared and fail than they are when they're prepared and fail because if you're prepared and you fail somebody beats you that day there's nothing you can do about it but if you're unprepared that's that's when it really gets under the, the best performers skin that's when they get bothered by it cool so paul you work a lot of tour pros so i want to ask you what did you see in that final round of the masters to me i saw reed um he was able to just kind of go along nicely you know it didn't get too high when it had good breaks and didn't get too low when the bad ones whereas rory like right from the get-go seemed to be just trying really hard and it just it was like a precipitous decline as he missed some putts and whatnot what did you see and what was the difference particularly from say a, a mental performance aspect the, the most striking thing i always see when people are playing well is that you can't tell what, what hole they're on when you watch them. They're doing the same thing. Like Patrick Reed was making notes in his in his book on the 18th green. Um, he was just doing his job out there and, and not attaching any meaning to the situation. And, of course, I mean, we say that. Of course he was attaching meaning to it. He was probably nervous as hell. But at the same time, it's, there's, there's a comfort that comes when you just do the familiar thing that you've done 10,000 times. Uh, that I'm just going to do the job, and, and when you when you skip steps, there's a party that gets alarmed by that and goes, "Oh wow, well, we've got something special going on here." Versus mm-hmm. this is the same thing I did when I was you know playing junior golf, right. uh, and so that that I that, that's what really stands out. Not only you know last or like two weeks ago or whatever it was, but at every every event where I see this, the guys that are that are doing really well are sticking to doing their job well. It's almost in Rory. Pardon me? What did you see in Rory? Um, he was, he was, he, he seemed to be chasing something. I, 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 I can't put my finger on what I was doing or what he was doing. Um, I just had an instinct that it was like this, he's just going faster. Mm-hmm. He just seemed to be, you know, trying to get somewhere where Bruce's do his job. his mind probably went to like holy crap I could win this and, and I have a 
I have a sense that he played a war in his head throughout it in terms of thinking, well, you know, I could win the green jacket, et cetera, and bringing it back to what Paul was talking about, you know, doing the job, staying in the moment, following his process, all that stuff. And I think that these guys, when they exceed at the highest level, it's because they've earned it. It's hard work. They've put in all the time. They've had tons of experience. And, uh, you know, Reed's been there. He's been in, in that really high-level pressure cooker, and he's had that experience. And so I think that's part of the, the hard work that goes into it. <laughs>
were talking about there was it, really what's the difference between someone who can be a champion and just another player. And I think a lot of it has to do with just your own self-awareness. Is that being able to catch yourself when you're in those times of which, say, you're going into the what we refer to as the, the vortex of death, the, the thinking, the judging, and all that type of stuff. As you said, Paul, when you start to think and analyze, that's when you get into danger, and that's where you, know, you just get in. That's, that's basically a recipe for self-interference. Is what all of the thinking, and then you start to analyze, and mid-round, oh, am I dropping into the slot, et cetera, as opposed to just letting your natural athleticism take over. And, and so, but it's those players who are like really self-aware, be able to go, oh, I'm, I'm doing this again, I'm thinking or that, or and just, and really being grounded. You know, like a, like a Jordan Spieth, I think that's why, I mean, that guy is highly intelligent, but he is grounded. I think he grew up in a family where their highest priority was their his sister, and so when you get when you have someone that combination, and and, and don't kid yourself, these guys have amazing amount of talent. They would not be there unless they were you know the top you know five percent in terms of just being an athlete. Skype, did you, did you just not wear your glasses today, or did you get the LASIK thing done? Uh, I, I, my glass, excuse me, it's Paul in the air down here. My vision has evolved so that to see that stuff up close, I can't wear my glasses. Um, my, 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 my glasses are for distance. So if I put the glasses on right now, you guys would be blurry. Um, all right. So I, I, I'm really glad I asked that. I'm sure our listeners are all better. They're all lies for just knowing this. About they would not care less. I don't know why we don't edit that out. That did work. Messenger or something like that, so uh, I owe him big time. But, um, anyways, clean that up. I don't know you very well. He's a member of Planned Parenthood. 
I think, yeah. Uh, thank you for your honesty. and all that stuff. Sure. Um, that's it. 